Content warning, folks, this episode contains possibly the most adult content of uh, anyone I've done so far because it's about Florian. So I want to do a blanket content warning as well for discussions of sexual assault as I will be talking about close time in Tarbian as it relates to Florian. Also, of course, there are spoilers for the entire Kingkiller Chronicle to date. Enjoy the show. Well, it's been a while since I've been recording a podcast and that's all I got. Hey, welcome back to Entirely the Right Sort of Podcast. I know it's been a minute if you're listening to this in real time, um, but I'm back recording an episode about Florian. I am recording this episode in a closet and I haven't really been in the closet for about 16 years, so. We're going to see how this goes. Um, Hello. If this is your first episode, well, welcome, welcome. Um, My name is RJ, which stands for Raspberry Jerry. I don't know if I've done that one before, but it's been in my head for a while. Today, part of the reason it took me so damn long to record this podcast is because there's a lot going on in the Florian chapters. We've got sex, we've got magic, we've got songs, we've got the cafe, we've got sewing a shade out of moonlight, we've got whatever the hell happens when they go to get the shade. There's just like so much going on and we've got both like with his power on his brow like there's a lot of shit going on in these chapters so I might cuss a little more today just because like this is an explicit podcast anyway because we're talking about like the sex goddess so um if you have sensitive ears um please tell them that I am sorry I think um you know when I do these podcasts I like to look back at like who these characters are or like with the ADEM I think I kind of thought about when we've heard about ADEM before because Rothfuss is really good at leaving us tasty little breadcrumbs um Felorian I believe is only mentioned in Name of the Wind once um when Kvothe and Denna meet again in the Aeolian Kvothe sort of compares Denna to Felorian when they meet um he's quoting something certainly but a little later he does say he can keep thinking of Denna as Felorian if she doesn't tell him her name of course she doesn't really tell him her name we don't really know what her name is it could be RJ you know maybe RJ stands for stands for ring ring G- okay that's enough and uh that's all we get in name of the wind about Florian is just um that little bit uh, in my recollection which of course as you know from listening to this podcast my recollections are possibly wrong of course uh in the wise man's fear Quoth, you know gives us a little tease at the beginning when he's talking to chronicler that this is gonna be um the day of the story when he talks about Florian. There's a bit when Kvothe, Sim, and Will are settling their bets in the archive, we get a mention of Florian and how she, um, her realm might dwell close to Greystones and Waystones. And of course, we are primed for her almost imminent arrival 
by Dedan's story during the bandit hunt and his explanation to Tempe of how Florian kills men. But at least to me, it was a surprise that Florian actually showed up and that Kvothe went into Faye at first. Even though we've heard Faye mentioned and even though we know Bast um, is a Faye, this part of the story is just like wildly different from anything else Quoth encounters and it is a great group of chapters for Rothfuss to really flex on his writing craft with his descriptions of Florian's glade, of of the fight between Quoth and Florian, and of some of the wonders in the Feyen realm. And, gotta say, Quoth's trick with Florian also mirrors how Chronicler convinces Coat to tell him his life story, um, which I think is pretty great. I didn't really pick up on that until a couple reads through um, when Coat says to Chronicler something like, oh, you used my own best trick against me, um, which I think is a funny thing to say because Chronicler might not know that like that's Kvothe's own trick. But, you know, maybe he does. Maybe Chronicler's a fae. There, you know, ain't nothing out of realm of possibility. I like to begin every episode with seven things that we know about the character I'm talking about or can suspect about them based on a little thing called context. So here are seven things we know about Miss Florian. Number one, she really enjoys music. Um, Quoth sings to her. She likes songs about herself that flatter her. She also tries to teach Quoth some Faye songs, which he says, um, I believe he says the melodies are slippery. He can't get his hands around them. Um, interesting at first, she thinks Quoth is a poet. Number two, Alodin speculates that Quoth calls Florian by her true name, suggesting he has a deep knowing of her. Number three, Quoth makes a promise that he will come back to sing his finished song for Florian. Number four, as far as we know, Quoth is the only mortal or part mortal to spend time with Florian and leave with his sanity. Other men come back from Faye mad or die in her arms after being driven to exhaustion. Number five, Florian kind of teaches Kvoth about glamoury, which is the art of making things seem, and grammary, which is the art of making things be. These are the fey magic that, if you've read the little story, The Lightning Tree, um, I won't really spoil it if you don't, but um, Bast does a little magic in there. Good old Bast. Number six, Florian was alive before the split between mortal and the fey, so she is presumably thousands of years old. And number seven, Quoth remarks that Florian's life must be rather lonely. She's only able to find company when she can lure a mortal being into her part of the world. We don't see any other fey beings besides animals, so it's possible that Florian either distances herself from other fey, or that she's unliked or feared, or maybe she's just too close to Cathay for anyone to wander over to her glade. I know it's a personal preference, but I know also I'm not the only one who kind of balks a bit at Quoth's time with Florian. And I don't mean the chapters as a whole. I think the time he spends talking about Faye's stories and asking her about the moon, asking her about the Chandrian, um, and her sewing the shade is fascinating. I'm talking about the overt sexual passages, the pages where Florian is teaching him the lover's arts are 
um, honestly a short part in a very long book, but they do make me cringe a little bit internally, especially when I'm listening to the audiobook. Um, I don't actually know why this is. I don't usually cringe at intimacy in books, um, or on the screen. Um, I've definitely read a lot of spicy fan fiction, etc. But, you know, there it is. I don't, I don't love, I don't love these scenes. And, as I'm thinking about it, you know, preparing for this podcast and considering these chapters, I ask myself, you know, why have this encounter with Florian? And I, I and by this I mean why kind of make this close first sexual experience? I of course understand why he goes into Faye in the first place. Um, would it have been easier to have him meet some other Faye person who teaches him magic and tells him about the creation war, like? Why does it need to be this lustrous sex goddess? Why did Rothfuss make the decision to have close first sexual experience be with like the living, breathing embodiment of sexuality? Kvothe goes from blushing and being unable to think of a comeback to Losi on his first visit to the Pennysworth to being so like naturally gifted that Florian is surprised he was a virgin before he met her. Um, I think some people use these scenes as evidence Quoth is a Mary Sue or Marty Stew. Um, a theory I disagree with because we do see him fail at quite a lot of things and struggle as well. So I asked um, a couple months ago on Twitter like to my followers if they thought the sex lessons from Florian were necessary. Um, my friend Dallas, who did the Denna podcast with me, said um, she thinks the most interesting parts of the Florian section are the weaving of the shadow cloak and her reactions to his questions on Ajax, Chandrian, and the moon, and Cafe, of course. Um, she also said, I guess he has to be good in bed and have crazy mystical experiences, um, but it felt a little heavy-handed. SNC said um, of these passages, I think they were necessary not only because of the obvious part about him coming of age, but because it provides a more interesting way to awaken his sleeping mind than just having someone try to kill him, which I think is a good point. We'll talk a bit about the sleeping mind later. Um, Taylor Jones says, how else could the trope of Quoth being superior to the average mortal be developed except through this montage? He knows nothing. He's sequestered into a sex Jedi training regimen and emerges a master. The framework is similar to him learning from the Adem, which, um, again, I, I appreciate that. Um, so thank you all of you who responded. I think... The easier, um, well, an easier answer to to why we had all these sex scenes is it prevents any of the existing female characters from, like, filling this role of Quoth's first and thus complicating his relationship with him. But again, you know, could he not have had his first encounter with Losi or with Vachette or Pentha? You know, yes, I know it's a fantasy story and that Quoth is a very special boy. Um, I think that this encounter does make Quoth much more aware of lust, but not of love. After all, he says at the end of Wise Man's Fear that many women don't date him for very long. But Quoth knows of romance, at least, as he tells Florian he's read the books and he's and the plays, and he certainly does a good job of rhapsodizing over Denna in his mind or to her face. Um, but before Florian, he doesn't really have much physical experience of it all. I think 
another easy answer is that it just sets both apart. Um, I want to remind myself and all listening that everything we hear about Florian before this is literally fairy stories. Um, but as I mentioned off the top, Quoth is the only person we know of who met Florian and came back relatively sane. So again, this kind of puts Quoth um, in his own separate little category. Um, I've read online that Pat has said these scenes were a way of making his story less chaste than other fantasy stories. I guess Lord of the Rings um, being a great example. Though I find this a bit of a weak argument. Um, I haven't read Game of Thrones, but I understand there's plenty of sexual content in there. Um, and some of the more adult fantasy novels I read were Mercedes Lackey books, and those were an eye-opener for Teenage Me. Um, I do think it's quite possible this is a bit of an author insert. Um, and, and you know, that is that. So the answer, as I kind of alluded to, I, I come to the conclusion of this. Quoth understands lust with Florian, but there's a fundamental difference, I think, between lust and between love. Now, despite all his faults, and some of the cringy languages he uses, I think Quoth loves Denna in the way someone who first saw her at the age of 15 can love someone. But notice how when he's rolling around with Florian and eating raw bear meat and swimming around naked, he's not thinking of Denna. He only thinks of Denna when Cathay mentions her and he doesn't really think of her much in Ademre either. So I'm coming to the conclusion that Pat wants to make a distinction between these two beings. Quoth is able to name Florian presumably hours after he meets her. Um, Elodin tells him that part of him must fully understand Florian. But Quoth openly admits time and time again that he is not able to understand Denna. And I think that can be a key distinction um, love and lust. I, I feel like that is maybe one of the reasons that that's in there. And he has, you know, lustful relationships with Losi, um, with Pentha, with Vachette, and a couple other girls back at the university, but it doesn't seem to be much deeper than that. Um, so he understands how to work little quoth, but he doesn't understand matters of the heart. So next I want to talk about their kind of battle of wills um, when Quoth names her. Um, let's start with kind of a macro view before we get into the details of what actually happened. And, and um, again, I want to let you know that I'm going to be discussing some um, possibly triggering content about sexual assault. So Florian tries to force Quoth to stay with her and have sex with her. And this triggers not only Quoth's memories of when he was in Tarbian, but also some kind of inherent power. Quoth understands Florian innately based on um, Elodin's logic. Now, I, I, I have to ask, like, is this because of his own trauma? You know, why is he able to overpower her as he does? Why is he able to keep his sanity? And I think one of the things Quoth fears. I'm about to get a little psychological here. I think one of the things Quoth fears and one of the things many of us fear is a loss of control, a loss of autonomy, whether it's over his, talking about Quoth, over his body, over his story, 
and especially over his mind. I, um, you know, personally, when I think about things I worry about and things I'm afraid of, it's often things I have no control over in the situation. I don't, you know, I don't have a control over the future. I don't have control over how other people are going to think or act. I can only really control myself and my own words, my own actions. Um, I'm a person who very much dislikes conflict and I dwell on situations where there might be conflict, whether it's with other people, like someone raising their voice, you know, in the store or especially, you know, with myself and my loved ones, because I worry how my actions or something I say in a fight will alienate other people from me and that I'll not be able to keep control of myself. And when you think about it, you know, every day there's stuff we can't control certain things we can and we can't we can't control the weather we can't control how other people drive on the road you know it, it, we're still in the middle of this pandemic we can wear a mask we can stay home and wash our hands and you know keep away from folks but we can't get everyone else to follow these same damn precautions unfortunately um you know we can build storm shelters and get ready for a hurricane or a tornado but we can't influence its path um i've been on a real you know, Star Wars kick lately. And I think I, I argue one of the main reasons Anakin fell to the dark side is his need for control over what happened to someone he loved. Um, and his inability to save his mom really made him want to go to any lengths possible to control what was going to happen to Padme after his visions of her dying in childbirth. Um, think about Tom Riddle and his lifelong quest to beat death and control death um, and become Voldemort. You know, one of the reasons the Shapers um, and Kingkiller split from everyone else in the creation war, right, is they did think they could control everything. Ajax especially went beyond all of them and pulled the moon away from where she belonged. So I realize I'm putting Cloth in the position to be compared to some rather unsavory characters, which is kind of why I went on that long tangent earlier about how all of us at some time in our day and in our life worry about things we can't control. It's a human tendency. Cloth's human. Anakin was human slash chosen one. You know, Voldemort was human. The Shapers weren't, but, you know, they're their own thing. I don't, you know, I think Quoth sometimes does the wrong thing, but I, you know, sometimes you can't really fault him for being afraid of losing control of himself. I mean, yes, again, he's a very special boy, but he's still a kid. I mean, he's, he's 17 right now. When I was 17, I was dumb as shit. Um, you know, I would say to compare him to the Fae, Felorian, you know, and Bass to a similar degree are perhaps creatures who are used to exercising their will and their desire only over not only the beings around them, but non-sentient things too. And they can, you know, control the atmosphere. In a way, control is what sympathy is. And that's what naming certainly is. So when Quoth and Felurian have their struggle for power, it's a struggle for control. And that, you know, took me four minutes to get there. But that I think is the inherent bit of it is Kvothe has this reaction because he hates a loss of control and it triggers in him these memories of Tarbian. All right, let's get into the actual meat of their battle of wills, which is almost entirely contained in Wise Man's Fear, chapter 97, Blood and Bitter Rue. I was going to read the entire thing, but it would take like 15 minutes, so I won't, as I assume you've all read it at least 
once. There's a lot of great imagery in here, a lot of action and reaction. In these passages, Quoth realized he actually understands Florian and is, from what I assume, able to call her name and control her. He actually calls two names in this section. The first name he describes as the sudden song of her, meaning Florian. That is four notes, and he calls this, wait for it, three times. Hello, Lyra. And the second name, which he says is the name of the wind, which is three notes, he calls twice. Florian, it seems, um, her power derives from her body and the movement of it and the way she touches Quoth, but she does also have some spoken magic. She makes an utterance during all of this when she speaks, quote, a word as sharp as shattered glass. Interesting here also to note, Quoth only calls her name when he's looking directly into her eyes, which must help him see into her. He says he's able to understand her down to the bottoms of her feet and then uh, shortly later the marrow of her bones. And remember later in Wise Man's Fear, Alodin says Quoth must have understood some part of her, probably his sleeping mind did, um, brought about by that fear. So in my estimation, Quoth uses her name to hold her and to somehow break her power. There's, there's a line in there about her power breaking. Then he uses the name of the wind to control her. He even says he realizes he did have the power to kill her, but chooses not to. I cannot but wonder if this is somewhat different here than the times he calls it in the mortal. First of all, talking about the name of the wind in previous or subsequent times quoth calls the wind he says it has a long name but in this scene it is only three notes of song second the power he calls here manifests first as his breath and then transforms into a silver flame we'll get that uh, to that silver flame imagery in a minute now, the subtle foreshadowing we get in one of these lines kind of thrills me. Um, I feel like I've noticed it before, but it really hit me today as I was preparing for this podcast. The quote, I knew then that I could kill her. It would be as simple as throwing a sheet of paper to the wind. But the thought sickened me, and I was reminded of ripping the wings from a butterfly. Ooh, this, of course... Um, reminds us of Cathay and the sick game it plays with the butterflies around its tree. Just a little hint there that kind of passes by in an instant. And and by the way, how is he reminded of ripping wings off of butterflies? Like, okay, has he? Did he like do that as a kid, or is this like adult Quoth thinking back? I also want to call attention to what maybe we call I can call angel imagery in this section. So here's another passage. Another step. Her smile was fierce and full. She was as lovely as the moon. Her power hung about her like a mantle. It shook the air. It spread behind her like a pair of vast and unseen wings. Unquote. Wings, like the ones Telu gives his angels, maybe, which were called, quote, wings of fire and shadow, wings of iron and glass, wings of stone and blood. And then later, quote, I saw myself reflected in her eyes, naked among the cushions. My power rode like a white star on my brow, unquote. Again, like the story of Aleph and the angels that Scarpy tells. Um, here's another quote from the book, from uh, Name of the Wind. Then Aleph spoke their long names and they were wreathed in a white fire. 
The fire danced along their wings and they became swift. The fire flickered in their eyes and they saw into the deepest hearts of men. The fire filled their mouths and they sang songs of power. Then the fire settled on their foreheads like silver stars and they became at once righteous and wise and terrible to behold. So it seems in this, this, you know, we're back in the forest glade here with Felorian. Both Foth and Felorian are kind of allegories. I don't, maybe not quite, but they're being compared to Taylor's angels here, especially considering Foth holds Felorian in that power that's described as silver fire. Yes, granted, the colors are reversed in the story of Aleph. It's white fire, silver star. And in this encounter, it's silver fire, white star, but it's definitely something to note. Also, one more little quote for now. I love this quick reminder. Quote, close enough to touch, I felt her power thrumming in the air. Desire rose around me like the sea in storm. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. We are eating this up. So like many other times, both calls the wind, emotion drives this one. And, and I think he describes it later as both terror and rage. He calls the name of the wind in anger against Ambrose when Ambrose steals and breaks the loot. Um, he calls the name of the wind in fear, I believe, uh, later in this book when he sees Denna choking for air and Tarbian. And when he's in a Demre, he calls the wind because he's able to get his mind into that spinning leaf. And his anger actually crashes him out of that mindset. So I find that interesting. Um, if you've been listening to this podcast a while, you know I like looking for patterns and comparing what happens in one scene to what we know about the others. And if you don't, you know that now. So now that we've kind of talked about the fight, let's move on to two other things, I think, that are quite important about the Florian chapters. One is the creature or force that Quoth and Felorian encounter on their way to gather the shadow for the shade. And the other is Felorian's refusal to talk about the seven. No, not the seven things I share at the beginning of the episode. You know, those seven. Of course, Felorian also talks about the creation war, but I did cover that in the last episode about the moon and a bit in my episode about Lyra, so we're not going to rehash them here. Let's start with Florian's response to Kvothe asking about the Chandrian. This is chapter 99, Magic of a Different Kind. Um, Kvothe asks of the Chandrian, she says, no, I will not speak of the seven. Um, and he says he feels a trickle of fear, but he can't let the subject go. Obviously, he's not very good at letting things go. Um, so he gives her a smile and, and draws a breath to speak, but she comes forward and kisses him. Um, and leaves him breathless. Then she looks at him, lays a hand along his face. Um, it says her eyes are full of sweetness. And she says, my sweet love, if you ask of the seven again in this place, I will drive you from it. No matter if you're asking, be firm or gentle, honest or slant ways. If you ask, I will whip you forth from here with a lash of brambles and snakes. I will drive you before me, bloody and weeping, and will not stop until you are dead or fled from Fay. And it says she didn't look away from me as she spoke, and though I hadn't looked away or seen them change, her eyes were no longer soft with adoration. They were dark as storm clouds, hard as ice. And then Florian says, I do not jest 
I swear this by my flower and the ever-moving moon. I swear it by salt and stone and sky. I swear this singing and laughing by the sound of my own name. I will not do this thing. Now, I know Florian is powerful, but I assume here that speaking of the Chandrian, even in Fae, will call them or alert them, and I doubt she could defeat all seven. I kind of assume that Florian maybe knows them or knows who they were originally, and if she wanted to, could possibly even give Quoth some secrets to defeating them, or at least to defeating Cinder. But she doesn't want to, either because she doesn't want to remember or because she knows they can destroy her and her home and and everything she's built. Now, I want to call your attention to the fact that the Chandrians supposedly fear the Sith, um, who prevent, who, who, according to Bast, are in Fae, are actually quite close to Felorian because they're around Cathay, which, I, you know, again, with the, the geography of Fae, we don't really know, but Quoth walks, I don't know, maybe an hour or two hours, three, to get to Cathay. So theoretically, um, the Sith are close. And yes, they did not stop Quoth, we don't know if that's because they had been called away to mortal um, because Cinder was at the bandit camp or because they let Quoth go for some other reason. But Florian should know that they're close and that they'd probably come fight the Chandrian if they came for Florian. This is definitely an interesting group that I'd like to know more about. Um, what I'm getting at here is why won't Florian call like say anything about the Chandrian if the Sith are close by and like they're one of the things the Chandrian fear right I mean you know she might not be able to take them on but aren't these uh, other folks around like can't they team up Felorian apparently just doesn't want to fuck with the Chandrian I wouldn't either to me this brings up an interesting question about the Chandrian that some folks on reddit kind of helped me bring help bring me to um as I was researching this episode are the Chandrian Fae, or are they mortal, or are they something entirely different? Because if they are Fae, theoretically, as Florian says, the Fae shed their power when they go into the mortal, um, just like the Sith would as Fae creatures. So fighting in the mortal would put them on more of an even ground, as would fighting in Fae. The, the, the power dynamic would be the same. But if they're mortal or if they're you know something else again theoretically they'd be at a disadvantage facing the sith and the fey realm um so i again i i don't really know i just think it's important to kind of ruminate on whether or not um the chandrian are fey are mortal or are something else also um just this little bit that's that's so interesting when Felorian tells both there were never any human Amir. So that makes me think that the that there are like a true like Feyan Amir or like the Ruach or whoever, you know, people were before they were mortal in the Fey. Um there's like the real, like legit Amir and then there's the people, um gosh, what is it what is it Felorian might say it? sound like people dressing up in their parents' clothes or something like that, children dressing up in, in their parents' clothes, kind of like Puppet does. Um, but again, the Amir are also something the Chandrian fear, and if there are never any human Amir, 
you know, maybe the Chandrian are, are actually mortal and they fear the Fae. Um, I guess we can assume that the Chandrian were beings who were alive before the creation war. So before the split between mortal and Fae. If Lanray was the one who recruited them, perhaps they were human or kind of a proto-human, proto-Fae before they acquired their powers. That's something to chew on for all of us. Um, and I've kind of strayed from Florian's Glade again, so let me circle back to her. Um, I'm going to go down another path with Florian and the Chandrian. Hopefully you're ready. Remember in Shayan's story that we hear in, in Hert, that there were originally seven followers of Alaxol or Haliax during the war, and six of them forgot the Lathani and betrayed their cities, but one remembered the Lathani, and so hope was not lost for the empire. Here's, here's where I might diverge from other people. Is it possible that Felurian was this one all-powerful being that I don't know, you know, if she remembered the Lathani, but she did not, you know, go against the Empire with, with the Chandrian, and this could be why she fears them. Shayan describes the people in the Creation War as not a dem, but quote, they were what a demre was before we became ourselves. And so we and we do have some small tie between the Felorian and the Adem, not in, you know, their looks or anything, but in the fact that Felorian has specific names for things, for her lover's arts, almost a specific Katan, if you will. And we know the Adem are not shy about sex, that's for damn sure. Now, I haven't sold myself on this theory, but I it, it's a fun one to spin that I hadn't really thought of before now, um, that Felorian was the one being who stood against Haliax and his Chandrian. And so they have like a thousands of year beef going and Florian doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to mess with them. Also, I know I said this on Twitter, but like, you know, let's say Florian was one of the original, like, can you imagine like in the, in the Chandrian, like the lineup, the roster, so to speak, like, okay, you've got the blighted crops You've got the blue fire. You've got stuff rusting. Like, ooh, spooky. Like, Florian just shows up and makes everyone horny. Like, honestly, I think that is the most destructive thing you can do unless you do have someone who is um, who is asexual or, or someone who is not kind of swayed by desire. But, like, you know, Cinder's out here, like, burning stuff. And Florian's like, yeah, I just made the entire tavern horny. And they're, like, creating mass chaos. I wonder if Florian could make the other Chandrian horny. Like, th- truly, maybe she could. I don't know. She's got a lot of power. So before I diverge into something completely um, off my rocker, off my nut, um, I want to turn to the other the other thing I wanted to bring up from Faye, and that is the, the weird creature. So right after this chapter where Florian is talking, um, telling Quoth, you know, she's not going to... Um, she's not going to talk about the Chandrian. The next chapter, chapter 100, Shade, um, is when she decides he needs protection. Um, so when Florian's taking Quoth to gather the shadow, he summons some kind of, of light to guide them in the darkness, and something weird happens. Honestly, as many times as I've read this, I never quite, like, understood 
understand what happened or what comes. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna read it since it's only a few pages. So, as we walked, the forest grew darker. At first I thought it was simply the branches of the trees arching over our heads. Then I realized the truth. Above us, the twilight sky was slowly growing darker. Eventually, the last hint of purple was gone, leaving the sky a perfect velvet black flecked with unfamiliar stars. Florian kept walking. I could see her pale skin in the starlight and the shapes of trees around us, but nothing more. Thinking myself clever, I made a sympathetic binding for light and held my hand above my head as if it were a torch. I was more than slightly proud of this, as it as the motion-to-light binding was rather difficult without a piece of metal to use as a focus. Light swelled, and I caught a moment's glimpse of our surroundings. Dark trunks of trees rose like massive pillars as far as the eye could see. There were no low-hanging branches, no undergrowth, no grass, only dark moss underfoot and the arch of dark branches overhead. I was reminded of a vast, empty cathedral swathed in sooty velvet. Sirnahalis! Valorian snapped. Understanding the, her tone, if not her words, I broke the binding and let the darkness rush back over us. An instant later, Valorian leapt at me and bore me to the ground, her lithe, naked body pressed against mine. It was not an entirely uncommon occurrence, but this time the experience was not particularly erotic as the back of my head struck a knuckle of protruding root. Because of this, I was half-dazed and nine-tenths blind when the earth shuddered slightly beneath us. Something vast and almost perfectly silent stirred the air above us and slightly off to one side of where we lay. Poised atop me, one leg on either side, Valorian's body was as taut as a harp string. The muscles of her thighs were tense and quivering. Her long hair fell over us, covering us like a silk sheet. Her breasts pressed against my chest, and she drew a shallow, silent breath. Her body thrummed with the rhythm of her racing heart, and I felt her mouth move where it rested near the hollow of my throat. Softer than a whisper, Valorian spoke a gentle, edgeless word. I felt it press against my skin, sending silent ripples through the air the same way a thrown stone makes circles on the surface of a pond. There was a soft sound of movement above us, as if someone was folding a huge piece of velvet around a piece of broken glass. Saying that, I realize it makes no sense, but still, that is the best way I can describe the sound. It was a soft noise, the half-heard sound of deliberate movement. I cannot tell you why it made me think of something terrible and sharp, but it did. My forehead prickled with sweat, and I was filled with a sudden pure and breathless terror. Valorian went perfectly still, as if she were a startled deer or a cat about to pounce. Quietly, she drew a breath, then spoke a second word. Her breath brushed hot against my throat, and at the half-heard word, my body thrummed as if I were a drumhead soundly struck. Valorian turned her head a bare degree, as if straining to listen. This movement pulled a thousand strands of her splayed hair slowly over the entire left half of my naked body, covering me in goosh flesh. Even in the grip of my nameless terror, I shivered and gave a soft, involuntary gasp. There is a stirring in the air directly above us. The sharp nails of Valorian's left hand dug hard into the muscle of my shoulder. She shifted her hips and slowly slid her naked body up along my own until her face was even with mine. Her tongue flicked against my lips, and without even thinking, I tilted my head, 
reaching for the kiss. Her mouth met mine, and she drew a long, slow breath, pulling the air out of me. I felt my head grew light. Then, her lips still tight against mine, Florian pushed her breath hard into me, filling my lungs. It was softer than silent. It tasted of honeysuckle. The ground shivered beneath me, and everything was still. For an endless moment, my heart ceased beating in my chest. A subtle tension left the air above us. Florian pulled her mouth from mine, and my heart thumped again, sudden and hard. A second beat. A third. I pulled in a deep, shaking breath. Yeah, so that's kind of scary. Kind of terrifying. Like, I still have no idea what that is. I don't know if it's some kind of creature, or if it's, like, shadow itself, like, darkness itself, or, like, God, you know, even death. Um... What I can infer is that, you know, Florian herself might be allowed through here. Um, perhaps Kvoth is, is not. Or perhaps the fact that he brought light in, into this dark place put them in danger. Um, and Florian basically stops his heart for a moment, perhaps. So um, whatever is there can't really sense him. Like, it can only sense her. Um, so... I really don't have a lot of theories about this part of the book. I just, it, it, it eludes me because I understand what she did. I mean, basically like killed him for a minute, you know, stopped his heart for a minute. Or I know that like, you know, I've seen TV shows where if you, you know, get your heart rate like low enough, you can go into some sort of trance or like appear dead, but it really seems like she stopped his heart. Um, and I, I understand how that works, but I don't understand, like, it's almost like I haven't even seen the movie, um, A Quiet Place, but it's almost like that, like, you give the creature, like, any sign of light or any sign of, of sound, also, like, the, um, the clickers or whatever in The Last of Us, um, so like this I this creeps me out and I'm glad it's only like two pages because I don't really know what's going on if you know what's going on please send me an email but and I will not read it late at night because this freaks me out okay it's all for that one I know that there probably is a lot more to talk about about Florian about the fae um the things Quoth learns um like I said I talked a bit about the creation war and the moon um in the lyra and in the moon podcast respectively so I'm not gonna to truly dive into that um but I did want to pivot here to someone you might not be thinking about this podcast um which is Dear Willem um and it's just interesting to note his reaction compared to Sims um when Quoth comes back and talks about Florian but I also want to recall what he says um in the chapters of Wise Man's Fear they're all drunk on the way home from the Aeolian um and Quoth tells the story of Skiop so Sim asks where Quoth and Willem would go if they could go anywhere Quoth says he would go to the Tallenwald um and meet the singers which is pretty cool but Will says he'd go to Faye <laughs> And, like, he doesn't mention Felorian, but he says he'll go to the Feyan courts and dance with Embrula, which I take to be the sealedest word for Fey women. Um, and we also know Will, um, I, I 
think maybe it's it's the same chapters or or uh, around that point when they all ask like uh, they all ask what they'd wish for um sim says i think he just wants someone to love him Both says he wants a clear sign and will's like i want a ring of red amber that protects me from demons and a life you know an endless supply of cake so will will knows what's up i'd like to learn more about will like maybe will has had like you know close encounters of the fae and kind or whatever um just a little i guess lighter note since i scared myself reading that passage about the shadow thing um so to sum up this episode, I know it was a bit of a longer one, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, even though I said up top that I don't love all the sex scenes, I think the Felorian chapters are just fascinating. Like, I think we get just enough of Faye to get a feel for it. And, and re- like, I think that, I mean, clearly he learns, we learn a lot and Quoth learns so much more than like just to kiss and have sex. He comes into some sort of power. He's able to name Florian within like an hour of meeting her. He's able to trick her pride and leave Faye, which presumably no one else has done. He gets the shade. Um, He meets Cathea, which is an entirely different conversation. Um, And above all that, there's just really some nice descriptive and world-building work by Rothfuss over the, you know, days, weeks, months, and possible years that Kvothe spends there not shaving, being naked, and eating honey and bear meat while the water splashes. Honestly, it sounds great, but I don't have the will to ever get out of Florian's Glade. I would die. As I close, thank you, all of you. Um, If you're listening kind of in real time for your patience, I took a while to get this episode out. Um, I appreciate you listening, whether you listen to it the second it airs or whether you're listening to this couple years in the future. Um, I have a little housekeeping to do, first and foremost, um, to say this will probably be the last episode for a while. I don't know how long. Um, I finished character profiles of everyone, like I set out to, um, all the women and, and second, I, amidst, you know, personal stagnation and, you know, mental health and this and that, I, I, it's just hard to wrap my mind around this project as much as I love it and, and, and find time to do the research and writing necessary to make this something I think is good and worth publishing, um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not done. Um, and I know I didn't hit every woman or girl in the Chronicle, uh, but I think I've done the major ones and, and the ones with good lore. I, I do want to keep going sometime in the future with the major male characters, even as complex as some of them are. I, I, I want that to be the next phase of this podcast. Um, so I'm not done. You'll probably hear me again at some point talking about whatever. Um, I'd love to do a mailbag episode if you want to send me a letter uh, with thoughts or questions. ETRSOP at gmail.com is the way to reach me. Um, I'd like to do an episode or two with like a book or TV show or like a video game recommendation. Um, and of course, I will still be active on Twitter in the King Killer community. Um, I've had so much fun meeting people, the podcast community really just kind of welcome me in with open arms um and I've I've listened to 
quite a few um, folks, you know, Caster Quest, Duke and Duchess, Road to Tinue, um, the buddies over at Felling Night Live, Page of the Wind, um, and Tales from the Waystone, the latter two of which came on here with me. Um, so it's just been great. And just like talking to people, reblogging stuff, goofing around, um, it, it's been a joy. So I will likely do another episode with a mail call and some info um, on, you know, how to reach me in case you forgot. But I'm signing off for now. And let me say, may all your stories be glad ones and your roads be smooth and short.